I was focusing on local in Miami, and I was looking at national trends. But the thing about online or print journalism is you have so many words, you have so many spaces, you have not a lot. And so often I thought the stuff that was most interesting had to be left out. This is Evolve CPG, a community of purpose-driven brand leaders who not only believe in better, but actively pursue it. That's better products, better brands, and better leadership for a better world. I'm your host, Gage Mitchell, founder and creative director of Modern Species, a sustainable brand design agency helping better brands grow and scale their impact. On today's episode, we're speaking with Ellen Canner, the soulful vegan, about the plant-based food trend and the inspiration for her book, Feeding the Hungry Ghost. Hey, everybody. I'm Ellen Canner. I'm the soulful vegan and author of Feeding the Hungry Ghost, Life, Faith, and What to Eat for Dinner. And I'm delighted to be here. Awesome. Thanks for joining me, Ellen. I'm excited to chat with you a little bit more. I know we've been collaborating with the Organic Marketing Association, but I'm excited to geek out a little bit more on plant-based foods and vegan lifestyle stuff because I've dabbled a bit myself. But before we dive too much into your background, I'm curious. I, I always love hearing people's stories about why they decided to go vegan or vegetarian. So what is your kind of vegan origin story? I also think these are very profound. I gave up meat when I was 13 because I love cows. I've always loved animals. And I wanted to piss off my parents a little. <laughs> nice. And it was a win. You know, <laughs> yeah. It really annoyed them. And it turned out I did not miss meat at all. So something that I was just going to see how far I could take it has lasted hmm, considerably longer. A couple of years. Than, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. When I started out, of course, there was not a vegan market. And wow, it's amazing now. So it's yeah. very exciting. So did you go straight vegan right away at that time? Or were you just removing meat, but there were still kind of animal products somewhere in your diet and it took a little while to convert fully to veganism? I would say the latter. Uh, keep in mind that the availability of vegan products were just not there then. I was talking to a colleague who we went vegan around the same time more than 20 years ago. And she said, I remember very brown soy milk. <laughs> Such a visceral. Yeah, I remember that too. Those days are gone, people. Yeah. I think it's been similar with a lot of other health-based or allergen-based diets like gluten-free and other things. Like when it first starts to when products first start showing up on the shelf you're just happy to have something that you can eat <laughs> on the shelf and then the quality eventually catches up <laughs> but but you're right the vegan movement has exploded quite a bit and grown over time in fact pretty sure i saw a statistic just recently that plant-based was one of the hottest trends right now for the food market partly inspired i think by this covid pandemic where everyone was paying a little bit more attention to their health and i would also say partly inspired by the sustainability climate change movement where eating more plants is obviously more environmentally friendly. But what do you think about the whole growth of plant-based and veganism right now? Well, you hit on something really good. There are three reasons people tend to go vegan. 
One is you love animals. One is your health. And one that has been growing in urgency is sustainability because there are so many stats I could give you if I had a head for numbers about how plants are more environmentally responsible and sustainable than livestock. And I live in Miami, so I am ground zero for climate change. Any single day here, you will see that we are affected by the changes in climate. So this is very real for us. Yeah, absolutely. I love that there's been movements like Meatless Monday. I don't know if that's still going on. And while I'm not necessarily a consumer of some of the more processed vegetarian options like Impossible Burger, I do love that those companies that are coming out with innovative new products are kind of bringing to light some of the reasons to switch to more plant-based and giving people kind of like a a little dip your toe in the water kind of option for testing out like being a little bit more vegetarian. Are there any favorite food products or brands that you like to help kind of urge people or nudge people towards a little bit more plant-based diet? If you are still using dairy, oat milk is fantastic. It has that nice creaminess and mouthfeel. It is one of the most sustainable of the plant-based milks. I mean, come on, it's oats. Almonds, while I love almond milk, tend to be use more water to grow. So I really have become very involved in where my food comes from. I think it's very important. I love Miyoko's vegan cheese. The fact that I can even say vegan cheese is something <laughs> that's, that's remarkable to me. Yeah, There are so many exciting products on the market now. Yeah, I do love oat milk. I discovered that when I was on some international travels and before it had hit the U.S., became one of my favorite little treats when I was in Southeast Asia and traveling around to the like some of the 7-Elevens out there. And they had just had all these different products that I'd never seen before. And one of my favorites, I still remember it, is just these little containers of oat milk, like little juice boxes that I discovered there. And it was just so delicious that... I sought it out when I came back to the U.S., but they didn't have Oatly and other things over here quite yet. And I don't know if Oatly even existed then. So I'm loving seeing more of it come to market. And I totally agree with you that it's got that so much more creamy feel to it than I haven't really been able to get into the almond milk because it's so watery in comparison. Mm -hmm. And I do like some of the creaminess of soy as well, but I know a lot of people are kind of like on the fence about how much soy they want to consume. So having something like oat milk as an alternative seems great. So do you have any favorite recipes that you make that you feel like convert some of your meat eater friends? Because I know that's one of the challenges that I've mostly always cooked vegetarian myself, just instinctually. That I always get that complaint of, oh, I need my meat or something like that. But often when I cook a meal that I would normally eat that fills me up, they're usually pretty surprised that they feel really good afterwards and full. So what are your favorite go-tos? I think most difficult thing about converting to a plant-based diet is your mindset. If you go into it thinking, oh my God, if I don't have meat, something terrible would happen. I don't like to take anything away from anyone because then you feel deprived. I try and get 
really exciting flavors and just sort of crowd out the plate with beautiful vegetables, including last night's dinner. I don't know if you're going to be able Ooh, nice. This is a very colorful array of every kind of vegetable I had in my fridge. Cauliflower, peppers, mushrooms, onions, all kinds of greens, kind of the last of the arugula from my garden. Give it a pop of something like smoked paprika. You get that umami flavor. Roasting is a great technique. If you can master roasting vegetables, you can really get big flavor, very satisfying. You can skew this a million different ways. If you like soy and ginger, add that. If you want to make it Middle Eastern, you can add some cumin and tahini. There's a million ways to do it. I also love adding some oomph with whole grains or beans. I love beans. They are my favorite plant-based protein. And yeah, I still get, do you get enough protein in your diet? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah. That'll never get old, apparently. Yeah, I was just going to mention that. That's one of the things I get all the time is people say, but I need my protein. And I'm always just kind of laugh at that because A, almost everything has protein in it. And there's plenty of plant-based protein that's complete proteins and so on and so forth like quinoa or or mixing rice and beans together you know like there's all of these plant-based proteins out there that'll do just as good a job and most people unless you're some sort of crazy elite athlete where you're trying to gain 100 pounds of muscle or something like that like just eating a regular diet has plenty of protein in it you don't need to supplement or eat tons of meat to to boost up your protein so it's mind-blowing to me when people use that as an excuse, but I think that's just one of the things where taught is meat is protein and plants are just carbs or something like that. Right. There's even protein in broccoli. And if you're worried about being hungry, there is more protein in half a cup of lentils than in four ounces of chicken. Four ounces of chicken on your plate looks really meager. Half a cup of lentils is really going to fill you up. And you can really almost get the same flavors, the satiety in the mouth. It's great. Yeah. Do you feel like for people you're trying to convince to eat more plants, do you think it's more of like a flavor thing? Like they're just not used to eating vegetables. Maybe they don't like the bitterness of greens and therefore, you know, spices and oils and cooking methods come into play. Or do you feel like it's often more of the satiety like they they feel like can't just eat a salad i won't be full which is what i hear a lot all the time too or a third one do you feel like it's the texture the mouth feel because i think that's a little bit more elusive like it's hard to replicate the texture of a steak for example like there's more options out there but i, I feel like those are the three things i i notice a lot and I, I think there's ways around them but what have you heard as a food writer i'd say all of the above it's flavor, its fullness, its mouthfeel. I think texture matters more to people than they realize. So much of the foods I love are big on texture. They give you all kinds of range in the mouth. And when I do a cooking class, I used to do real ones in person, and that's starting to come back now. But when I do a virtual class, I feel terrible because the food looks beautiful you can't taste it. You can't experience what it's like in your mouth. And that's, it's so immediate. Now, I know you talk about responsible design. Mm -hmm. Food is that. I mean, it, it's very immediate. 
it's very intimate too. You're taking something into you. So yeah, learning a couple techniques you can use different ways, ramping up what you have in your pantry, a good olive oil, decent sea salt. And these things are not going to break the budget. They will last. You can use them all kinds of different ways. This makes a big difference. Absolutely. One of the things I realized I was doing Toastmasters for a little while and I decided to focus one of my talks on food because I'm obsessed with food. So, And I thought like, well, what do I normally do to make sure food tastes good? Because I've ever since I was a kid, I've been cooking a lot of my own meals and cooking for friends and, and family and other things. And I was never trained. I, I don't really just kind of instinctual or kind of learned by doing. So I was trying to break down what I thought made for really tasty food. And I came up with a system that I thought it was brilliant, but later found out it's actually kind of just an industry thing. <laughs> I always say that like, to get the right taste, you've just got to have the, a combination of fat, of some sort of salt or sugar, depending on if you're going sweet or savory, you know. And then what I really like is a pop of acid somewhere in there. So whether that's vinegar, or, you know, lemon juice or whatever. But I find that as long as you you could cook just about anything, as long as you use those three things somewhere in the meal, it'll really come to life in your mouth. Agreed. I later found that there's like a TV show around that. So I guess I'm not <laughs> original, but. <laughs> yeah. Samine kind of hit on that formula too. Yeah. But you're right about acidity. Every food you like has a little spangle of acid in it. You may not even be aware of it, but it, it's sort of what zhuzhes things up in your mouth. Yeah. I like to think that the fat adds some depth and richness or sometimes a bit of umami or something like that. And then the salt or sugar kind of enhance existing flavors that are in there to bring them out a little bit more. But the acidity brings it to life. It really creates like the energy in there, at least in my mouth. I'm a big fan of acidic stuff. So Me too. And to me, olive oil, lemon juice, garlic, salt, pepper, you can do a million things with these five things that you can get at any supermarket. Nice. Okay, so you mentioned Yoko's vegan cheese, which is great. I've had it at trade shows, and she's experiencing some amazing growth in her brand, which I'm super excited for. Are there any other, so for the veggie curious out there, are there any other brands or specific products that they can go find that you really love that you could recommend? I really want to disabuse people of the idea that vegan is somehow austere. I have a friend in Miami who has a vegan bakery, and she will ship croissants to you directly. It's called L'Artisan Bakery. And if you're anywhere in Pennsylvania, Vegan Treats Bakery, it was the first vegan bakery ever, and she still makes cannoli and vegan peanut butter bombs and just the most amazing range of things. Nice. Vegans like to party too, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, I guess if we're on that bandwagon, I'll, I'll do a shout out for a friend and one of actually my first clients in, under my design studio, Modern Species, Bloom Bake Shop out of Wisconsin. I think one of the things that really made Anne-Marie and Bloom Bake Shop unique is that she was able to make, whether it was vegan, gluten-free, or whatever else she's making, like it all was just as good, if not better, than the alternative. So like her gluten-free stuff, like I know a lot of people 
tend to shy away from gluten-free baking because maybe there's a weird aftertaste or something like that. But she was able to figure out just the right formula for it that made those products really come to life. And some people actually like her gluten-free and vegan stuff better than than the normal. So I know there's great ways to make awesome food (laughs) without some of those things that might be holding people back. You just got to go out there and find it. One elusive thing that I have yet to find, so I'd be curious to know if you found it, is when I've been kind of mostly vegetarian, I'll say flexitarian for most of my life, where I eat mostly plants and occasional meat. But when I've tried to go vegan, one of the things that held me back was just a really good aged, like hard cheese. Like I can't find a plant-based vegan kind of version of that. I know that there's great soft cheeses out there, but have you found just a really good like aged cheddar replacement or something like that? That is sort of the holy grail among my vegan cheese artisan friends. I mean, we seem to have cracked the brie code and the blue code, but you're right. That kind of really hard, tangy cheese, it is coming. (laughs) I know it is coming. In fact, I know some brands who are really working on it. It's not here yet, but what I think makes the existing vegan cheeses so successful is that they're not the first wave of fat and tapioca flour to hold it together and that sort of strange school bus yellow color. They are fermented like dairy cheese. It's the same process. In fact, some of the people who are now working in the vegan cheese business had been dairy farmers and were just so appalled by factory farming and Mm, the whole process that they thought, okay, this is a skill set I have. How can I apply this in a more positive way? Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. I didn't I didn't realize a lot of them came from the dairy industry, but that totally makes sense. Somewhat side note, but relevant. The Japanese craft beer movement and whiskey movement, I heard is successful in large part due to their history with sake making, which is very particular in comparison to beer, like the process that you have to go through. So they're precision and processes and different things that they developed for that really translated well into making some of the world's best whiskeys and beer as well. So that makes total sense that you can take your (laughs) industry experience from animal-based foods and really apply it to plant-based foods and, and make something amazing. I think so too. I used to live in Tokyo. So nice. almost everywhere else in the world, people have a closer relationship with their food. I mean, I don't want to sound too woo-woo by saying sacredness to it, but they honor their food. They put more attention into it. All my European colleagues do not understand how Americans can just think of food as fuel and run away from the table. Americans spend less time in the kitchen and at the table than any other culture. We're number one in something I don't particularly want to be number one at. This is a pleasure. This is a way to be kind to yourself. Why are we in such a hurry? Mm -hmm. Hence the slow food movement. I know (laughs) some Mm. of our clients have been members of the slow food movement. And in fact, on this recent round of donations, I'm pretty sure my agency, Modern Species, made a little donation to Slow Food USA as well. So I totally agree with you. I feel like, for me at least, food is one of the main reasons why I love life. So why would you rush through it? Why would you 
just eat something quick and bland and cheap when you can make something from scratch that's just as affordable, but it's also really delicious and nutritious as well. I say I cook to seduce. (laughs) I do. I really want people to engage and maybe look at what they're eating in a new way. Yeah, that's really cool. So speaking of which, you're an author and more, but let's start with the author side. You mentioned at the beginning your Feeding the Hungry Ghost book. Can you talk a little bit more about what that book is about and where your inspiration for it came from? At the time, I was the syndicated columnist, the edgy veggie for McClatchy Papers. I was also Huffington Post Meatless Monday blogger, and I loved those gigs because every week I was doing recipes, I was interviewing farmers, I was checking out the growing vegan movement, I was focusing on local in Miami, and I was looking at national trends. But the thing about online or print journalism is you have so many words, you have so many spaces, you have not a lot. And so often I thought the stuff that was most interesting had to be left out. And that, all that other stuff is what Feeding the Hungry Ghost is about. Wow. Hungry ghosts were actually an Asian concept. All over Asia in the summer, there are hungry ghost festivals. When people go to their local temple and they light incense and they usually bring food, they pray to their ancestors and The first year I lived in Tokyo, I asked my downstairs neighbor who kind of looked out for me, I said, what is this about? Why is everyone doing this? She said, oh, hungry ghosts. Hungry ghosts are basically spirits who were so hungry and needy in life that they come back when they're dead and they're still not happy. (laughs) So you have to pray to them and give them what they love and tell them you're thinking about them and to please go away in peace. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, you know, the same trick works for us. If you give us some attention, some compassion, and something that nourishes us, it feeds that kind of primal hunger. It quiets our craziness. That's what Feeding the Hungry Ghost is, it takes you through the seasons of the year, so you have a sense of what you can eat when. And it also just gives you some gentle nudges to kind of connect you with the seasons, with food, with the planet, with each other. So you can see why I couldn't get that into 700 words. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. So for those who are really excited to read that right now, (laughs) do they just go to your website Is it stocked in most bookstores? Like, where is your favorite place for people to go find your book? If you have a local indie, try them first. You can also get it on my website, and you can get it on one of the big Uber websites as well. Great. And then I know that's not your first book, nor will it be your last. So can you talk about some of your other books and or like if you have any ideas for future books bubbling up at the moment? Bubbling up indeed. In fact, I am just putting the finishing touches on a book proposal. Different kind of book. Uh, Feeding the Hungry Ghost had a lot of narrative in it. I want to be able to get that through, mostly with recipes, but also, I mean, I just tend to be a little sassy. So that's going to (laughs) come through in some way or another. But I thought, what are the two things I know most about? Miami and vegan. 
So I'm doing a book called Miami Vegan. Nice. Um, that, <laughs> Perfect. That really focuses on the beauty of tropical produce. It is mango season here, people. I have in my hand a mango that is all kinds of sunset colors. It is orange, yellow, red. I love this time of year, but we've never had a mango season like this one. I go out and walk the dog, and when I come back, my neighbor has put three more on my doorstep. It's enjoying the seasonal abundance. And maybe you don't have mangoes where you are, but you have gorgeous peaches or you have blackberries. This is a time to really enjoy the produce of summer. I think it's the sexiest time. Yeah. So Miami Vegan will have a lot of tropical influences, but I show you how you can get those flavors wherever you are. Oh, nice. So it's not just for those in Miami where all that food is just showing up on your doorstep, but how can you create those flavors of Miami wherever you are? Yeah. So for those of us who are eager to travel, but not quite ready yet, I hope this book gets you there. Sweet. That's awesome. I'm excited to hear more about that one. But in the meantime, I've noticed you've also been, you had a history in doing some online videos, like cooking show style stuff, and you've been diving back into filming more videos. You mentioned that you're the soulful vegan. You mentioned also this edgy veggie, and maybe there's more names that you go by. <laughs> but I'm curious to know what you're up to these days in terms of video and if you have exciting plans that you're working on for other kind of online or video content. Well, I have been doing... Okay. <laughs> He's really excited about food. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to tell you about my dog while I try and get him quiet. Is the layer of rice and beans that sticks at the bottom of the pot. It's called pot cake. And to me, it's it's everything that Miami is. It, it's a great fusion of flavors. It's where all the good bits are. And it's also the Bahamian term for mud, which pot cake is. So it has some of my food loves in there. And it also, yes, good boy. It kind of honors the mix that he is. I always think um, mutts are the most interesting. Yeah. Okay, you asked me a question and I had to go off book because of my dog. Can you ask me again, please? Mm. <laughs> yeah. I know that beyond writing, you've also done a lot of video. I've noticed that you had kind of cooking show style videos in the past and that more recently you've been firing that back up again and doing more videos. And, you know, whether it's under edgy veggie or soulful vegan or some of the other names you go by, it seems that you've got a lot of strong content there. And since you've been firing it back up lately, I was curious to know if you're working on something new and exciting, maybe doing a new cooking show or anything else like that. Right now, I really am focusing on Miami vegan recipes. And the whole pivot to video and ramping that up was pre-COVID. I had eight months of cooking classes, fully loaded, ready to go. And then Oh, like so many other people, I had to find another way of doing what it is I do. The fact that I don't hate video as much <laughs> as going in shows that I have become accustomed to it a little bit. I do not have the most perfect kitchen for shooting videos, but I actually think that's a good point. Someone likes to call me a chef and I always say, no, no, I'm, I'm a home cook. Anyone can do this. I really want to empower people in the kitchen. That's great. So wherever you are, 
whatever your situation is, you have the capability to feed yourself. It is a basic life skill. So obviously, I'm a little passionate about this. But I want people to feel that, yeah, hey, I can do this. I don't have to be a cooking show celebrity chef or anything like that. I just have to feed myself. Yeah, that's great. I know that people go to YouTube for a lot of things. Like I've gone there to try to figure out how to fix some small plumbing issues or whatever in the house, for example. And and I've gone there to learn how to cook a steak in the oven or whatever it is that we're talking about. But I think your videos are probably super helpful there. But you also mentioned the classes that you had to cancel due to COVID. Have you found an interesting way to do those still live in person online where maybe everyone goes out and gets all their supplies and they're all there kind of on Zoom cooking and watching you cook, but they're also cooking at the same time so they can still get that kind of feeling of being able to taste the food and smell the spices and so on and so forth as the process is moving forward? I've been doing that like for particular groups lately, but I am just branching out. I don't know if you guys know about air subs. I didn't until quite recently, but it links up through Zoom and you can do classes through it. And I've got a sexy summer salads class coming up in a couple of weeks. So there's that. And I hope to be doing more of them. Nice. Yeah, that sounds like fun because I know one of my favorite things to do while traveling is go take a cooking course in whatever country I'm in so that I can learn a little bit more about their local flavors. And, you know, it's also just a good way to eat as well because you got to eat while you're learning. But to be able to do that online, I think could be amazing. Like if I could just sign up for a class and then a box with the ingredients shows up and then I get to at a certain time, like go and participate in this class and we can all like sit and eat and explore and talk together. That would be fun. There is, I think it's a Ghanaian term, Tarana. And it means welcoming a guest. But it's more than that. It's you are honoring me by coming into my home. You are my guest and you are a blessing. And that's how I've always felt about having people come together. That's why I have loved to entertain back when I could and hope to again. I love to have people around my table. You're right. It's the best conversations happen over food. Yeah. So it it really breaks down barriers. Food is a connector at heart. I've also seen, and I'm sure anyone listening has too, how food can be politicized. But I really want to focus on what brings us together. Hey, we all need to eat. Yeah, we all need to eat. And you were saying, you know, food can get politicized. And I think that's Part of the effort of the Organic Marketing Association, which you're also on that team, along with myself and a bunch of others, but the point with the Organic Marketing Association is to try to shift the narrative towards the positive instead of attacking others and making it this political thing. Let's just talk about the bounty and joy and deliciousness of organic good food. So as a vegan plant-based advocate, what's your stake in the organic movement? So much of what we eat is processed, and we are sold so many things that aren't true. I think I'm going to be able to say this without being sued. Nestle (laughs) recently had an internal email link where they said, hey, 60% of our products are not healthy. They are never going to be healthy. 
but we're going to just pretend that they are. And we're going to try and sell people on this. Wow. Uh, so, yes, having a good, clear idea of how your food is sourced without any additives, without the ugly veil of marketing and bling, that matters so much to me. Absolutely. And while we're on the subject of Nestle, for those wanting to dive a little bit more into their food system, some friends have produced a podcast called For a Better World. And their first season, I believe, goes through kind of some of the Nestle supply chain and them removing their or walking back from their fair trade certification and how that kind of rolls out across the supply chain and how it affects the people growing your food. Just really interesting stories on there. So check out that podcast. <laughs> little plug for them. No, I want to I hear it too now because one of the other reasons I went vegan was the more I learned about the food system, the less I felt I could support so many of the practices out there. And I know it seems kind of a drag, like, I just want dinner. <laughs> the fact is, all this stuff is sitting down at the table with you. So you have to be careful about the choices you make. Yeah, absolutely. I know for me, I've been kind of instinctually a more plant-based eater and occasionally eat meat, but it's never really felt instinctual for me to do that. With that said, I do remember, it must have been 15 years ago or something like that, when I started re watching some documentaries and reading books on the food system like you're describing, it was pretty eye-opening to understand the impacts of the meat industry and how cruel the industry is to those animals. And I know people are like, oh, whatever, like animals don't have the same feelings as humans or whatever, so we can eat them for meat. But the industry itself, it's not just like, oh, I've happened to raise some animals humanely and then slaughter them for meat. It's like, the industry itself tortures the animals so much and puts them through all these brutal processes and then just does all this really nasty stuff to get you the food that you want, both environmentally and to the animals, that it was just eye-opening for me and made me push even further a little bit back from the meat industry at that point, or at least if I am going to eat meat, I want to try to make sure I'm getting it organic, you know, free-range or regeneratively farmed in a more responsible way. With that said, are there any beyond your books, are there any books or videos or anything that you would encourage folks to watch to learn a little bit more about the food system? There are a lot of great videos out there. Really, you can just Google them and see what comes up. Some people are motivated by that which having the veil of factory farming ripped away. Some people want to be cajoled a little bit. So I want it to fit whatever is going to feel comfortable for you. I never thought I would be able to say there were so many food industry documentaries out there. It's really quite astonishing. Yeah. And I've seen some on, I want to say it's like Super Size Me or something on like fast food industry and the effects on your body. And then there's obviously some new, newer movies like Kiss the Ground that are more about regenerative agriculture and our need to shift in that direction for climate change. But as you mentioned, yeah, even on Netflix, there's just a bunch of shows around the food industry now. So I feel like that's a good trend that hopefully Americans and others in the world, but especially Americans, are, are learning to reconnect with their food culture a little bit more and, and being a little bit more conscious about what they're eating or what they're cooking or where they're getting their food from. 
So what's the uh, future of veganism look like for you? It's growing, plant-based is hot. What are you most excited for as the industry continues to evolve? Wow, is it evolving? It is expected to grow 100% by 2050. I'm very excited about it. We have moved way beyond very brown soy milk. And I hope the future does hold some really good vegan hard cheese. (laughs) But I also want us to be careful of how we proceed because, yeah, big food is very good about not necessarily telling people the truth. I think organic and vegan, perhaps I'm a little naive here, I think we tend to have more of an ethos, a sense of responsibility. I hope we can scale that up. I think to go forward, we're all going to have to adjust to a little more plant-based way of eating just to feed the 10 billion people who are expected here by 2050. We all need a place at the table. Yeah, beautiful. One of the things I saw recently that blew my mind a bit, but could be a hint towards where the future is going, is air meat or air protein. Have you have you heard about this interesting trend? I'm sure there's going to be a lot of controversy, like people excited about it on one side and people angry about it on another side. But I'd be curious to hear your perspective as a vegan plant-based diet advocate. What do you feel like about these alternate meats like things like lab grown meat or air protein where they're just taking like co2 and probably like yeast and bacteria whatever out of the air and converting it into a protein like meat like food substitute i think there's interesting stuff going on there i've also heard of like lab grown eggs that are supposed to be a lot more environmentally friendly but i don't know it's just a new frontier weird territory out there where I'm sure we're going to make some of the same same mistakes we made in the past by industrializing agriculture, but maybe some of it's also going to be brilliant and help us feed the future of the planet. So do you have a take on any of those <laughs> innovative new foods? All the above. I am a little concerned. I mean, you shouldn't have to be a chemical engineer to know what <laughs> it is you're eating. And The process of lab-grown meat and air-grown meat. Yeah, I've heard about it too. It's like, how exactly is this happening? It may not be the most sustainable way to raise food. I do worry about it. I'm trying to remember the name of the organization. Environmental, Environmental Watch, I think, has a whole lot of really good information about this that made me not too keen on pursuing it. However, that is where the industry is going. If you are a venture capitalist and you know someone who is doing some kind of weird molecular startup, people are throwing money at it. So I'm going to be zen about it and say, we'll just see about that. Yeah, that's kind of my position on it too. I'm like, well, I don't know. I suppose I'm open to new things, but at the same time, I feel like Most of the answers are just go back to the way we were doing it for hundreds of thousands, millions of years as a planet. (laughs) Like Just eat, like I think as Michael Pollan says, eat real food, mostly plants, and you'll be in good shape. And I think from an organic standpoint, most of the studies to date worldwide seem to show that just kind of small scale organic and or regenerative farms are plenty capable of feeding the future population growth. 
we just have to get back to some of those more regenerative methods instead of the destructive kind of monoculture industrial agriculture that's depleting the planet. So I think there's lots of potential out there. I don't know if we need these crazy meat protein things, but you never know, you know, if we're going to go colonize Mars or something someday, maybe, maybe air meat or air protein or whatever is going to be the way we do it. So I'm open to hearing how things go, but I'm also always skeptical. Small hold farmers actually feed 75% of the world. So keep that in mind. And if you look at all the heritage diets in the world, whether it's Asian or African or European, Latin, they all have the same base. It's fruits and vegetables. It's whole grain. It's beans. These are the foods that have fed us for millennia. They happen to be the healthiest, the easiest to come by. So just try and keep that in mind before you go signing up for air meat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Take it with a grain of salt or some caution. Just eat some real food. But yeah, let's mm -hmm. uh, see where the world is going. Well, I appreciate your time and come and share a little bit more of your story and some good advice for those curious to be a little bit more plant-based. We'll include links to your website and your books and anything else you'd like us to share out. Uh, but I just want to say again, I appreciate your time and all that you're doing to help the industry keep evolving and to help people eat healthier. Well, thank you. This was so fun. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Ellen or her book, go to soulfulvegan.com.